So I want to point you back to Nehemiah uh, this morning, and I'm just going to make some comments out of the book of Nehemiah. If you want to turn there, please do so. But we're going to use this just as a springboard to talk about some things of faith as we look forward uh, and as we have uh, looking back to say thanks to all that God, God has done for us. And just some background, Nehemiah and Ezra are books that work together um, where two things really occur. Uh, they talk about the re rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, and uh, then there's a recommitment as the people of God come back out of exile. They were in exile in Babylon, and they're called back, and they rebuild the wall, and they renew the covenant that they had with the Lord. And this is the main um, themes of Ezra and Nehemiah. And it's, uh, the book of Nehemiah is a really passionate book. It's full of intrigue. It's, a, it's an amazing story just to read. And, and God shows once again uh, uh, His mighty hand to His people. Uh, it's a book that you, when you read it, you can, you can find something for everyone. It's, um, you can read it like a general, an army general's diary. You can read it as a governor's report as you see how he interacts with, with different people. You can, you can read it as a management book as you see how he handles people in, 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 in uh, unpacking what God has for this nation. And you can see it as, also as his personal, personal memoir, his kind of story of what God did in his own life. And so there's this wonderful mixture of this narrative, this documentary kind of story of what happens with um, the people of God. And at the same time, it's a, a book where there's heroism on the part of Nehemiah. He stands against some amazing opposition. And at the same time, there's this amazing covenant renewal of the people of God uh, with God in chapter 8 and 9. And it's one of the great dramatic stories in the Bible. And so you might say that's all very well. What, what, what does that have to do with us? I want to say when I look at Nehemiah and I'm looking backward at our own journey and forward in terms of what is still to come, above all, for me, this story of Nehemiah is a story of faith. It's a story of God speaking, someone hearing, and, and out of that place being obedient and releasing a whole future for many people because of personal obedience. And God called His people and called Nehemiah to do something great. And I want to encourage you and say to you this morning, whatever you do in your life, God has called you to something great. We are not just unknown people. God has called us, set us apart, and He's called us to do something great for Him. And you are part of that story. You're part of God's big story for the redemption of the world that He has called you to do something great with your life and connect your hearts to others who are convinced that God has called them to do something great for His kingdom. Are you with me? And so, uh, this story of Nehemiah helps us to see that. It helps us to see that God has called us to something together. He's called us to something individually, but together as a community, He's called us to something great for His kingdom, and that He wants us to walk by faith. And as He shows that to us, we're going to get the privilege of helping to rebuild something of His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so to do that for Nehemiah, he had to confront the Persian Empire. And I don't think we can understand what bravery that took because the Persian Empire was the superpower of its day. Right? The Babylonians had been the superpower and they ruled all of the ancient Near East. So if you go and look at an ancient map, uh, all those countries like Turkey and Greece and all those, uh, those countries were ruled by one people and that was the Babylonians. And then in um, 539 B BC, the Persians 
under Cyrus overthrew the Babylonians and became the dominant power. And it's very hard for us to understand what that would, would have been like. But all of the known world of that time was ruled by the Persians. And part of, the, of, of uh, what Cyrus did, this Persian king, was he allowed the Jews that had been in exile and scattered all over the ancient worlds, he allowed them to come back to Jerusalem and he allowed them to um, return and rebuild the temple. And so various waves of Jews came from all over the, that uh, region, came back to Jerusalem, and they started to rebuild the temple. This is an amazing thing that, that had happened. And systematically, um, as we read Nehemiah, you'll see Nehemiah goes and inspects the walls and says, well, this needs to be done. He goes to the governors and the, the, the satraps, and he says, gets permission, and he systematically begins to work on something to rebuild the walls and the temple in Jerusalem for the benefit of all of the community. And so I want to put it to you, that's part of our joy as well. Our joy is to find out what God's plan is for the world, and we get to cooperate with Him. We get to work together out of friendship with each other, and we get to do something for God uh, in terms of what He wants to do here on earth. We get to go on an adventure with Him. And I want to say to you, it really has been an adventure for us. We, don't, we didn't think we would end up here. <laughs> this is what faith is like. You start your journey and you walk step by step and you hear God, but you don't know where you're going to end up. So some things are, remain constant throughout the whole journey. The gospel is constant. Our love for Jesus is constant. Our, 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 our battle cry, rooted in Christ, planted in family, fruitful in life, is constant. It's consistent. That will never change. The God, this is all about Jesus. Are you with me? Everyone's quiet this morning. <laughs> that remains the same. It always will be the same. But as we go along the journey, God shows us things that need to change. And so when I look back on t 10 years, there are some things that have changed. But the constant things have remained the same. And we get to this privilege with Jesus to cooperate with Him and find out what needs to change and what needs to remain the same. And I want to ask all of us a very simple question. This morning, as we look forward, we've looked back a little bit at the last 10 years. Now let's look forward. And can I ask you very simply, what do you see? What do you see? What do you see for your own life? What do you see for us as a church community? You see, the Jews were living in exile in Persia under this king called Art Artaxerxes. And... Um, they had settled for a certain kind of lifestyle. They had settled for comfort in a, in, a, in a way. They were happy. They were in exile. They kind of thought, yeah, well, this is as good as it gets. And then someone said, no, we can go a little bit further, and God wants something else for us. And so I want to put it to you that we can live a bit like that as Christians. We can live a little bit like comfortably in exile, happy with the way that things are, and yet God doesn't want us to live like exiles. He wants us to live in His kingdom fully, wholeheartedly for Him. Are you with me? And so I want to put it to you, unless we learn to walk by the Spirit, unless we, le we learn to hear God's voice, we are never going to walk by faith. What we are going to walk uh, by is tradition. We're going to walk by the, thing, the way the things always have been. We're going to walk by natural momentum. As the church gets momentum, we walk by that. We follow that. The way that we've always done things, we'll just carry on doing the same thing unless we learn 
to walk by faith and to hear His voice for ourselves. And so I put it to you, if we don't do that, the best things that God has done for us will just become like a guide dog. You know a guide dog that leads you, but can only lead you in paths that it knows well? We don't want to live like that. We want to live by faith. So I want to put it to you, what do you see? And secondly, I want to ask you, how do you see God? You see, that's a huge question. That was a huge question for Nehemiah. And I put it to you, however you see God will determine how you live, what you value, and what you give your energy to. How you behave and live in, in relation, in community. That was true for Nehemiah. And it was his understanding of what the Lord had for the, his people that enabled him to take on what was difficult and to persevere for the prize that God had for, for the whole nation. And so I want to put it to you, it's the same for us. How we understand God and how we understand His kingdom will determine how we worship, how we live, how we minister, and all those things that go wrong in that process are really in, in, the, in the root a false understanding of who God is and what His kingdom is like. And so I want to say some very simple things as we look forward this morning. Love for God is not the same uh, the love for God is not the, lo the, the love of the feeling that we have for God, but it's the love of determining to obey God. That, you see, sometimes as Christians, we want to have this kind of emotional rush. And when we get the emotional rush, then we think, yeah, okay, now I've heard God, and, and I, I, I'm going to follow that thing. But I, I found um, uh, 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 over many years of being married that that doesn't always, it's not always helpful, is it? <laughs> If you're only living out of your emotional response to someone, your emotional response goes up and down, doesn't it? But what keeps the marriage going? It's a covenant. You have made a promise to someone with your will. And Helen has said to me many times, come hell or high water, I'm here. I'm determined. I'm not ever going to leave. Why? With my will, I have decided that I'm going to love you. And sometimes I'm not lovable. And she still loves me. You might not believe this, but sometimes I have to determine to love her as well. <laughs> Isn't that true? That's how marriage works. It doesn't work out of the emotional kind of thing that you feel. And sometimes you do feel that emotional thing, and it's very wonderful when that, that happens. But you can't live on that consistently. You have to live on, no, we made a promise. We made a covenant before God that we were going to honor each other for the rest of our lives, and we're going to do it. Even when we feel like it or not, we're going to do it. And I put it to you, that's how it is with loving God. There's a determination in your heart. There's a covenant that you have made with Him. And you say, God, I am trusting you with all of my life. I'm walking by faith. And even when I feel emotionally up and down, I'm still going to trust you. That you are constant and sovereign and the future is in your hands. And I'm going to live like that with that determination and that perseverance. So I can see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Feelings go up and down. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I want to put it to you. I'm, uh, I, I, that's the first thing I want to say. As we look to, to, towards the future, let our, our passion and our energy and our emotion not determine how we go, but let our love for God determine how we go.
All right? Let's engage our passion and our emotion so that we can do it with passion and emotion. But let's actually trust God that He's faithful for what He's called us to do. A.W. Tozer puts it like this. He says, To be saved, a lost man must be picked up bodily and raised to a higher level. You've got to determine. You've got to decide so that God can do that for you. And um, that's why Paul, I believe, says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. My friends, at the end of the day, the next 10 years are going to be determined by how we see Jesus, how we live for Him, what we see of Christ. In, in, our, in our lives. That's what's going to determine how the, how the next 10 years go. Secondly, we become what we love. We become like that, those things that we give our, our, our love to. I, I've, I've often pondered this as I've looked, uh, I love history and I read history quite a lot, but uh, if, if you think of Rome, you know when, when, when um, Nero's mother gave birth to Nero and she held that little baby in her arms, and she had dreams for that son of hers, Nero. I wonder what she felt like when, when he turned out like the way he did. I've often wondered, and you know, Hitler had a mother, and Hitler was loved by a mother who had dreams for him. I wonder what she must have thought when Hitler turned out like he did. Or Jezebel's mother, you know, the, in, the, in the Bible, Jezebel who loved that child and wanted the best future for that child, and Jezebel turned out the way she did. I've often wondered, why, did, why, did, why does that happen with people? Why, why do they turn out like that? And I believe it's simply this. They became like what they most loved. That's what worship is. Worship is becoming like what you most love. If you love God most, you will become like Him. If you love, worship, if you love um, money most, you will become materialistic. If you love sex most, you will become a sexually uh, indulgent person. You become like what you love most. And so I want to put it to you as we look towards the future again that there are some things we can give ourselves to so that we can become more and more like God. I love, uh, Ed, uh, as you might have noticed, A.W. Tozer is a wonderful Canadian. He's a yeah, wonderful Canadian theologian and writer. You might know his books well. And he uses this picture. You know, in Revelation, it talks about the throne room of God, and it says there's a rainbow around the throne. You know that picture? And so Tozer says this. He says, the rainbow is made up of things are not, they're not God themselves, but they are, they are made up of things that are like God. And without these things, we cannot truly love God. And so he, he uses the picture to help us understand that there are things that we can give ourselves to that God loves. And the first thing that he says is, God loves righteousness. We can give ourselves to righteousness. We can give ourselves to righteous living in every way. And God loves that. And when we are righteous, we become a little bit more like God. Are you with me? So, Hebrews 1.9 says of Jesus, Jesus loved righteousness and hated wickedness. And for that reason, God anointed him with joy above all of his companions. That's what the word says. 
And so we can learn a very simple thing here. As we love righteousness, as we love what is true, as we love God who is the righteous one, we simultaneously hate evil. We hate wickedness. We hate all that is wrong in the world. And in that way, as we love righteousness with all of our hearts and we hate evil, we become more and more like Him. Become more and more like the Father. What else can we love? We can love wisdom. That's another one of those things that uh, Tozer says, I'll make up the rainbow around the throne. From the Greeks, we take the word philosophy, which means a love of wisdom. But you know, Hebrew people didn't see wisdom in the same way. They saw, they saw wisdom in a completely different way. And they had a concept of, uh, that you can read in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Psalms, other books, where they placed wisdom so highly that they said it was almost the same as God. Wisdom and God were kind of the same. So when you loved wisdom, you loved God. It wasn't just for the sake of getting some kind of idea that someone else hadn't thought of. No, wisdom was God, and God was wisdom. And as you loved wisdom in your life, you were becoming more and more like God. You loved wisdom. So if you want practical wisdom for your life, go and read Proverbs. Go and read the Psalms. Go and read Ecclesiastes. Full of godly wisdom. Full of pointing us towards the King so we can become more and more like Him. Are you with me? We love righteousness. We love wisdom. Thirdly, we love truth. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. <laughs> I am the life. And when he said that, he inseparably joined those things together in the Godhead. In other words, to love God is to love truth. You with me? To love God is to love truth. To love Jesus is to love truth. And as we love those things, we steadfastly, we consistently become more and more like Jesus. And that's the most beautiful thing in our lives. And so that's why the Bible says love mercy, love kindness, love purity, love humility, many other things. Because as you love those things, the Spirit is teaching you. And in your life, you're becoming more and more Christ-like. That's why Paul says in Philippians 4, whatever, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is noble, whatever is excellent, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable, dwell on, think about, meditate on that in your life so you can become more and more like that as, you, as Jesus works in your life by the Spirit. You see, that's how I believe Nehemiah saw God. He saw him as the righteous one, the wise one, the God of all truth. He was sovereign in every way, able to do the impossible, the first to be obeyed, the only one worthy of worship, the only one worthy of full attention with his life. He understood that in a very primary way, and it radically transformed his life and his world in a way that he couldn't do by himself. And so I want to put it to you this morning, uh, friends, that as we look towards the next 10 years, as grateful as we are for the last 10 years and all that God has done with us, and uh, many of you have journeyed for many years with us, I want to say Nehemiah still speaks to us. And I put it to you that in our nation right now, we are living in a time of discouragement. Generally, the church is discouraged. And it was the same in Nehemiah's time wasn't it? The temple was gone. The way that they'd always done things, the way that they'd worship was gone. It was gone forever. And it was this kind of sense in the people, things have been better in the past, you know? Things have been better. The church was doing better in the past. And generally in the UK, that's still the tone. You know, the past has been better. Not so many people are going to church now. We're fighting a losing battle against secularism and all these kind of things. I read this quote, which really... Um, 
inspired me. It said, it's easier to bask in the fading light of yesterday's heroes to, than to walk with God today. Isn't that true? It's easy to look back and see all the great heroes of faith. It's easier to believe that God moved mightily then than He wants to move mightily now. Amen? God wants to move mightily now. He wants to use your life and my life to do something amazing in our nation. And when we see things like that, we can then, with the eye of faith, begin to build the church that God wants for the nation. And so I put it to you that um, that's part of the story that God wants to get into our hearts out of Nehemiah. How he saw God, determined how he lived, and how he built. And the second thing I want to say is simply this, that Nehemiah was a romantic. <laughs> Nehemiah wasn't just like a theologian that loved God with his head and understood things with his head. He loved God with his heart. He loved God passionately in a romantic way. He wanted an adventure with God. And I put it to you that every one of us needs to be a romantic at heart in our relationship with God. We're too kind of, we can be too cerebral. We can be too kind of, yes, I want to understand all these things and understand them rightly, and that's good. But there's something of the heart, the romance that God wants for His church. Are you with me? Maybe you, you consider, you, you, a little bit kind of in your personality, you say, well, I don't do romance. Well, I want to tell you, God wants to romance you. He loves you with all of His heart, and He wants you to love Him with all of His heart. And why do I say that? Because when you look at Nehemiah, when he goes back... Um, and he observes Jerusalem and the wall and all that needs to be done, what, what is his first reaction when you read it in the first couple of chapters? He doesn't go and just say, oh, thank you, God, for showing me all of these things. I understand what I need to do. He, he goes and sees all of these things, and he weeps. He weeps. There's something that happens in his heart, and he's, he's transformed from the inside, and he says, God, I see what needs to be happened. Can I ask you, when last did you weep for God's church? When last did you weep and say, God, I see what needs to happen with your kingdom. I'm going to give it all. Ah, we're too cerebral. We're too restrained. Ah, we don't do that in our culture, you know. I ask you kindly, when last did you weep for God's church and say, Jesus, I love your church more than anything? You see, there was a brokenness that came in his heart. And I want to say to you, I want to say to you that God wants to do a new thing with us. And it's not just rearranging the old thing. Can I say that again? It's not just God wants to rearrange even the good things from the past. He just wants to rearrange them a little. No, God is birthing a new thing. A new thing in our hearts. A new thing for this church, a new thing for, for the next 10 years. And I, I believe part of that he's calling us to right now so we can engage with the future is to cross over, is to say no more kind of restrainness in my life, Lord. No, 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 no more of that. Passionately stepping forward and I'm going to engage with you in my life. I'm going to engage with your cross. I'm going to let you transform me from the inside. All those things that I've done in the past that I've excused, no more God. I'm engaging with you. I'm saying I want to become more and more like you. It's an active thing in my life. He wants to smash that mindset of our lives so that we can fight together with his son, that we can co-labor with him and we can see something of his kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. That's a new thing. 
not just rearranging the old. And part of that means he wants to smash a mindset in our minds and in our hearts. He doesn't want us just to be happy to be sort of comfortable exiles like they were. He wants us to go back to him. Are you with me? And so I want to just reiterate, I want to say two things give me great confidence as we go forward. And Helen's going to come and read some prophetic words to you. We have a book. This book here is one of the books that we have that we've collected over 20 years of every promise that God has given us as a family and as a church. And when we're feeling discouraged, we go back and we read these promises. We say, no, but God, you said Just trying to find a date. June 21st, 2000. My friend Kim, Kim Finlayson, who I grew up with at, uh, at uh, university, she, she had a word for us. Some of them don't have dates. I went to worship leaders' time at Soul Survivor. This guy prophesied over me in uh, the first couple of years. 15th of the 11th, 2000. God's called you to lay foundations. God's called you to be apostolic. You're doing well. He's going to provide for you. And he prayed for me. When I'm feeling discouraged, when I feel like, hey, I want to give up, I go back and we read this book. We pray together. We say, God, you promised. You said. That's what helps us to keep going. Why? Because God is sovereign. <laughs> God rules. God reigns. He is the one in control of everything. I love in the verse, uh, I'm finishing, guys, and then we're going to enjoy lots of food, all right? So give me five more minutes, and we're going to finish. In chapter 1, God talks about, uh, Nehemiah talks about the God of heaven, and he uses that phrase over and over. Oh, God, the God of heaven, you alone are sovereign, O God, he cries with all of his heart. Why did he do that? Well, he was using that because he wanted to tell the Persians something. Because the Persians also had a God who they said was the, the ruler of all. His name was Ahura Mazda. And, and, and what, 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 um, what Nehemiah is saying is actually, no, not Ahura Mazda is God. Yahweh, he alone is God, the sovereign one over all the universe. He has everything in his hands. Not your little Persian God, the God of all, the creator of all. Yahweh is sovereign over your life. And I want to say to you, whatever your future, whatever you're facing right now in your future, God is sovereign in your life. He is working His plans together for you. I had someone say to, I preached this message in Singapore, Romans 8.28. God um, is, means all things for your good. Yeah, you know that scripture well? This person came to me afterwards and says, how can you preach that? How can you say even the bad things God intends for good? That can't possibly be right. And I had to say to him, yes, it is. That's the wonder of the gospel. Even the horrible, nasty, evil things that happen in your life, God takes all of those things, and in his credible sovereign plan, he works them together for good so that you can look back on them and say, God, I'm in a better place than I was then. I'm in a better place now. So I'm glad this morning, yeah? That's what it means that God is sovereign. It means he works his will in your life in every way. And even the most painful things in your life. He does something deep in you that you can look back and say, I'm grateful.
God for everything that you've taken me through in my life. So I want to say to you, that's why I can smile. That's why I can look. I don't know what's going to happen. I know some things are going to be constant. I don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 years, but I can face it with a smile. Why? Because God is sovereign. Always has been. Always has been in control of my life and destiny. Is in control of your life and your destiny. Is in control of this church and its destiny. Can some Pentecostals say, Amen! Don't live like an exile. Don't be comfortable in exile. What did, what, did, what did Peter say? Who shall we obey? When they tell him, Peter, Acts, shut up and stop talking about Jesus. What does he say? Who shall I obey? You or the sovereign God? I choose to obey the sovereign God. And he preaches Jesus with all of his heart. And I want to put it to you, let that be the battle cry of our hearts. The Lord alone is sovereign. Not money, not power, not for football as much as I'm enjoying the World Cup, not myself, not the elevation of self. That's what we see in our culture right now, isn't it? You are the most important self is elevated. No, the Lord alone is God. What does that mean? Well, if we make God the Lord of all, we're going to live in a certain way. If we worship the praises of men, we will increasingly be given to flattery or slander or gossip. If we worship money, money will guide the way that we do ministry. If we worship power, we'll shrink back from when God shakes uh, secular authority out of His church. If we worship safety, then we will still want the church to be exactly the same as it always was. Pleasant, safe, non-threatening, just the way it always was. I love this about the story of Nehemiah. It describes Nehemiah as an unknown cupbearer to the king. You might feel unknown. You might feel like your, your life doesn't count for anything. Who knows me, Lord? You know, who knows me? Well, if God can use an unknown cupbearer to do an amazing thing for his people, God can use you and me that are unknown to many others to do an incredible thing for his kingdom right here. And you know what the point is? I'm trying to say it doesn't matter who knows and who doesn't know. <laughs> Our culture is full of being known. Instagram it quickly so everybody can know how wonderful you are and what you're doing. Instagram it, Facebook, and make everyone, let everyone know. I don't think the kingdom works like that. I think the kingdom works by thousands of ordinary people, unknown people, loving others, getting on, doing the work of the kingdom, and the kingdom comes and nobody knows. That's the way the kingdom works. That's how we have to live. And so, I'm trying to land. Okay? You want to come up and then I can land. God is sovereign. Secondly, God is totally reliable. As we look to the future, my friends, God is totally reliable. What does he say? He says um, uh, in chapter 1, verse 5, that God is a God who keeps his covenant of love to us. And so he's true to all his promises that he's, pro he's promised for us as a church community. And why the Israelites ended up in exile anyway, anyway is because they were disobedient and they turned away from what God had for them. But that doesn't stop God from keeping his covenant with them. He always keeps his covenant with us. And so what he's promised us, he's faithful 
to do. And so I want to encourage you with that. That's the message of Nehemiah. God is faithful. God is sovereign. God is totally reliable to do what He's called us to do. And so as we look back, we look back with grateful hearts. As we look forward, we look forward with courage. And I want to encourage you this morning, lift up your eyes. Give Him your whole heart. Worship Him with all of your heart and live like that. And He will put all the details in place. And that's how we want to live as a church community. Keep the main thing the main thing. Worship Jesus. Give Him our, our, our complete affection of our hearts. And all the details He will work out as we walk by faith. He will show us. Amen? God bless you guys. Helen's just going to come and read something. And then, thank you. Then we'll just, and Andrew, we can um, come alive on God's dance floor or something at the end. All right? Um, so, so looking back and looking forward is wonderful when you consider the prophetic. It's such a, a rich way that God encourages and strengthens and builds His church. And um, in, back in 2000, when we first started the church, we were meeting in a, in a small school hall where our boys went to school on the Casbury Estate in, in Watford. And we had a, a lady come and visit our church. Her name was Jill Patterson. Uh, she still is Jill Patterson. Um, and she had, had an amazing prophetic gift. And she came and gave us this uh, word that she spoke over us as a very small, newly planted church. And it comes from Isaiah 54. And she said that she felt God wanted to speak this over Forest Town Church. Sing, O barren woman, you have not born a child Break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have, not, who have not labored with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. And then it was this part that she really emphasized. It says, enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities um, inhabited. And it was just so amazing. There were probably maybe 15 of us when she gave this word. And it is so wonderful to see what God has done. And um, I love uh, when we've got on Church Suite, the, the app that you all use, um, there's, a, there's a facility where you can type different reports, and um, there's a map that it can project where every person in the church lives. And when we looked at this map, and it, we kind of did a circle, a 10-mile radius of where everyone was living, as Anne said in the video, there were over 24 different towns and villages that were represented by the people that are part of Forest Town Church. So it's amazing when uh, this prophetic word was given about enlarging the place of your tent and stretching wide your tent pegs, there was a real prophetic sense right in the beginning that this church was not going to just be a very local community, but God would bring people from a wide area to come and be part of what he was doing. And I just love some of the thoughts. I just want to, when I was looking back, isn't it amazing? That was, that was 18 years ago, 
And we are seeing the fulfillment of that now. We're seeing it unfold. And I'm sure we haven't even begun to see the more of what God wants to do. But I really feel this thing of enlarge the place of your tent. It means to widen, to make room. And we, we have to make room in our hearts. God is bringing new people to this church. And we have to make room in our hearts to receive everyone that he brings. And physically, we're trying to make room in this place. Uh, we're trying to get more parking. We're trying to do physically something of the expanding of what God has for us. But, um, and then it also goes on to say, stretch your tent pegs. And um, I think stretching the tent pegs has to do with preparing, getting things ready. And when you put a tent peg in, it holds something in place. I believe God is um, causing us to raise up more leaders so that we can have key people in all those different areas where God has stretched us out so that we can see people cared for and and. Um, and uh, have the sense of belonging in where they, wherever they are. And then it says, do not hold back. Where I've placed you, do not hold back. And that's one of the things I want to say is the quality and the character of Forest Town Church. This is not a holding back church. God wants us to be a pioneering church. He wants us to break open new things, not to settle down and say, oh, this is very nice, we've arrived, and as long as we're happy. No, God is saying we are to pioneer and to see the more that he has for us in all that he's called us to. And then he says, strengthen your stakes. Uh, There's a sense that we are called to persevere. Nothing that's worth fighting for comes easily. Isn't it true? If you had had anything in your life, whether like Ant was talking about your marriage, um, I had a friend who said she'll never have an affair with anyone because she's fought too hard for her marriage. (laughs) She's not going to throw away that fighting and standing for her marriage for something less. And the things that are worth fighting for, we stand on and we, we say, this is worth fighting for because God, you are doing a wonderful thing. And then it says, spread out to the right and the left. And we're to, we're to distribute God's word generously. We're to begin to speak out his purposes wherever God places us. And we'd love to see um, uh, uh, that wherever you live, that you would get to know who from Forest Town is in your neighborhood. Um, when I was looking on the map, I saw two people in the church that live in the same street, and I don't think you know that you do. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? You might, maybe you do know you do, but I didn't know that. But we want to be able to have a time where we can actually say, everybody who lives in Potter's Bar, and we've got six households in Potter's Bar. Yeah, there's some of them there. Everyone who lives in Harpenden, we've got uh, 12 families. There's some of them waving. We've got 12 families or households in, in Harpenden. We've got families in Welland Garden. How many of the, you guys in Welland Garden? Wonderful. In, um, we've got people in Letchworth Garden City. And when I say Potter's Bar or out that way, I'm talking about there's people in Ware, there's people in Hoddesdon, there's people in... Uh, uh, far away, and we've got Sen and Anita in South Banks. What? Southgate? You see, I, I don't even didn't even know that place. Southgate, and then we go all right, uh, Hemel Hempstead. Who's from Hemel? Woo! There's people from Hemel, and there's people from St Albans. <laughs> we've got 18 households in St Albans. Uh, I've, I've probably missed out Watford. We've got people from Watford. We've got. Bedford, we've got even people who live out towards Cambridge, 
Um, we've got people that are living in uh, Letchworth Garden City. I don't know, it just goes on and on. But God is doing something really, really wonderful. He's called us to stretch wide our tent pegs. And we want to see whichever area we're in, we want to see that place impacted for Jesus and for us to form community in those places. So some of the things we're dreaming about is when we have a prayer meeting, maybe we could have prayer meetings in those different areas midweek because then you don't have to travel all the way to the building when you've had a long day at work. Maybe we can pray together. You guys are in Mark 8 or Kensworth. Okay. And so all over things. So we want to we see community strengthened. We want to invest in friendship in this next season. We really believe that, you know, it's a terrible thing when we can be part of church community and still feel lonely. And we really want to see family and friendship be integral to how we expand and include others into all that God is doing. So let's stand together. Let's give thanks because God is doing a wonderful thing and we want to be those that walk with him into all the fullness of his promises. He spoke them 20 years ago. Uh, He actually spoke them before he formed the foundation of the earth. He knew this community and we're going to celebrate and walk with him into all the promises he has.